If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open up with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We are continuing our study through the book of Genesis. Um, and finally today, we, are, we, Lord willing, will be finishing the third chapter. Only 47 more to go. <laughs> I think... I think Later chapters should go quicker, but um, there's just a lot of good stuff. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak through your word. And Father, right now, I just pray that you'll speak to each of our hearts. I pray that you'll take away any distraction in our hearts and in our lives. And Father, I pray that you will speak through me, that I would be a clear, uh, clean and holy vessel for you to use. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. A judgment is the formation of an opinion after consideration or deliberation. So when a person goes before a judge and their case is heard, the judge deliberates and considers what happened, what the facts were, and then he makes his judgment. There's good judges and there's bad judges. And in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, we are given the story of a king who, who served as a good judge as well. His name was Solomon. And I just want to read this story to you because it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 16. Then... Two prostitutes came to the king, Solomon, and stood before him. The one woman said, O my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then, on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her son, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And then, and then this is the key verse that I want us to consider. And all Israel heard of the judgment. The judgment, once again, it's the formation of an opinion after consideration or deliberation. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And, and then listen to this. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Pretty incredible story. But when everyone heard about the judgment that Solomon laid out, when they heard about it, they stood in awe of him. Because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. As we reach where we are now in in the book of Genesis and in our study in the book of Genesis, we see before our, our eyes a time where the Lord brings about judgment upon man. Cast them out of the garden, Adam and Eve. They had sinned against God. They had taken of the fruit. They ate. They didn't trust him. They gave in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It led to there being a distancing and a break in their relationship and fellowship with him that led to shame. A few weeks ago, Mr. Jerry highlighted to us the different uh, curses that the Lord placed on the serpent and on the, on the earth. And then also the, the different judgments as well that the Lord had placed on the man and the woman. 
But in the midst of it, last week we saw how the Lord provided atonement by the shedding of the blood of those animals so that they could have skins. And here, at the end of chapter 3, we see the Lord bringing about his judgment. And as we considered the judgment that the Lord placed upon Adam and Eve and casting them out of the garden, I think it's important for us, like the nation of Israel, when they heard about the judgment of King Solomon, that they were in awe of him, for they perceived that he had the wisdom of God to do justice. As we consider the judgment of the Lord upon Adam and Eve in the garden, I think the only proper response for us is to to be in awe of who our God is and of His wisdom and His justice and to perceive His character. See, the the Lord God's judgment on man reveals His character to us. Perceive who he is and stand in awe of him. The Lord God's judgment on man reveals his character. Perceive who he is and stand in awe of him. In verses 22 and 23, we see that his judgment on man really reveals his mercy. It reveals his mercy. And for us, Like the nation of Israel, when they heard about the judgment that Solomon laid out, they perceived something about him. For us, we can perceive that our God is a merciful God. And we can be in awe at his mercy to us sinners. But not only that, in verse 24, we see that his judgment does reveal his justice. And we can perceive that our God is a just God. And he's a just judge. And we can stand in awe of him and trust his justice. First of all, verses 22 through 23, his judgment reveals his mercy. Perceive that he is merciful and stand in awe. Verse 22, then the Lord God said... Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. See, a judgment is the formation of an opinion after consideration or deliberation. And in verse 22, we see God the Father, God the, the, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, deliberating amongst themselves. One God, three persons. It says, Then the Lord, Yahweh God, said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. 
Once again, it highlights the triune nature of our God. There's only one God, but He is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In knowing good and evil. He didn't say that man became like Him in everything. But He became like God in knowing good and evil. And we, we covered this Uh, weeks back when we talked about the result of sin coming into the world and and having a conscience knowing what is good and what is evil but not being able to do the good but but then you see as he deliberates and as he considers the situation as he considers what's going on it says now lest he reach out his hand and take also Of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And then you'll see in your Bible there's a dash. It's like he gets to this point in his deliberation and he realizes, oh, we need to stop this from happening. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that the Lord had given every tree to man. To Adam and Eve to eat from. The only tree that he wasn't allowed to eat from was the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. He was able to eat from the tree of life. But when they disobeyed God and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Lord knew that if they were to eat of the tree of life, it would cause them to live forever in the state of being separated from God and not being able to come to the full place of intimate fellowship. Yes, the skins of the animals brought atonement for a time, but it wasn't enough. One commentator says this, For the man to live forever in his sinful condition is an unbearable thought, and God must waste no time preventing it. For the man to live forever in his sinful condition is an unbearable thought, and God must waste no time in preventing it. So we see here, in a real sense, that it was out of the Lord's mercy and out of His grace that He sent man from the garden. Because He knew that if man could continue on in their sinful condition and live forever, that would be horrendous. That would be, really, it would be hell. And so, to not give them what they deserved, to to be merciful and gracious to them, he drove them out of the garden to prevent them from getting into a state of being that was far worse than they had already gotten themselves into. And look, look at this, it's incredible. It says in verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
in the Lord sending Adam and Eve out of the garden, he was still merciful and he was still gracious because he didn't take away the purpose that he had already given them. He had given them the purpose to work and to tend the garden. As a result of the fall, there would be a lot of difficulty and sweat and blood that would come in their work. But it was still the, the same purpose and the Lord God sent them out. In his mercy, the Lord was protecting mankind from something even worse than they had already experienced. It's kind of like the discipline that parents, we give to our children. You know, when, when your child wants to go over and wants to put his hand on the stove... <coughs> And, uh, you know, they're excited about wanting to learn how to cook and stuff. But you know that if they put their hand up on the stove, it's going to burn them. And so you say, no. And you do whatever you can to keep that child away. And if they go, go towards it, you'll discipline them. But in their minds... As they receive it, they just think that you're trying to spoil their fun. Or like kids going out to play by the road. Like over here by the highway. A good parent is going to have boundaries and is going to keep the child away from the road. And it's for the child's good. It's out of having a heart of love and mercy and compassion. But the child doesn't know it at the time. They just think that daddy's being mean to me or mommy's being mean to me. But in reality, it is the most loving, the most gracious and most merciful thing that our parents could do for us. And in the same way, in the state that Adam and Eve found themselves in, they could look at being cast out of the garden of, well, you know, God is just so mean. He's just so angry and he, and, and he doesn't love us. But in all reality, it was because of his love and his mercy that he wanted to protect Adam and Eve from an even worse punishment. Eternity in a sinful condition. In Psalms 103.10, it talks about the Lord. It says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The truth is, Adam and Eve deserved eternal death. They deserved to go on in that condition in that sinful condition forever. But the Lord, in His mercy, brought about discipline and judgment in a way that was protecting them. So too for us today. The Lord disciplines His children. 
In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, it says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But then here's the key. But he disciplines us for our good. That we may share in his holiness. So it's actually... His mercy that leads us, leads him to discipline us in his grace. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If we are a true follower of Jesus Christ, if we have trusted in him alone as our savior, we have been born into the family of God and God is our father. How deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. To make us sinners his treasure, his children. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called sons of And daughters of God. We are a part of his family. And as a good father. He will discipline us. When when there's sin in our life. He knows. Where that's going to lead. The heartache. The shame. the, the, The fear. The guilt. The brokenness. And. And to prevent us from continuing down that road, he will put things in our life to discipline us. It's not because he hates us. It's not because he wants to ruin our fun. Just like for Adam and Eve, when he disciplined and when he pronounced this judgment that they were to be cast out of the garden, it was rooted in his mercy. What a merciful and loving God. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. And just like the nation of Israel perceived something about Solomon when they heard about his judgment, when we see the Lord's judgment here in Genesis, we can perceive that he is a merciful God. That he is a gracious God in his judgments. And he's a gracious and merciful God in his discipline for us today. See, the Lord God's judgment on man reveals his character. Perceive who he is and stand 
in awe of him. Verse 24, number two, his judgment reveals his justice. Perceive that he is just and stand in awe. Verse 24, he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Yes, he was is a God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and rich in loving and kindness, but he is also a just judge. And Adam and Eve had sinned against him. The, the one thing that Yahweh told them not to do was the one thing that they went and did. They didn't trust in God's word. And they gave in to the, the deception of the serpent, of Satan. It was cosmic rebellion. Because when they sinned against God, it wasn't just like sinning against some inanimate object. I can punch this podium here. Nothing really happens. But I can do the same action and I can punch Josh in the face. There's going to be a little bit more of a reaction to it. It's the same action, different consequences. Then if I do the same action and I went up to the president, and punched him in the face. The, the result of that action is going to be a lot different than doing that same action to this inanimate object. Because the, the just punishment that is deserved is not based upon what is done, but what who it has been done against. It's the same action, but when it's done against someone who is a king or a prince or, or a president, there is a far greater judgment because of who it was done against. Now, when we think about Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, they were sinning against an infinite being. Holy, holy, holy. Com completely set apart from us. So in their sin against God, it was an infinite rebellion. It was a cosmic failure. And so because of it, they were deserving of an infinite punishment. But in the Lord's grace and in his mercy, he was still just. 
And although he prevented them from eating of the tree of the life at that time, he still sent them out of the garden. And he placed a cherubim, an angel, to guard the gate so that no one could get into the tree of, the, the tree of life. And a sword, a flaming sword. This is interesting to hear about the tree of life and how they were not allowed to come back into it. One commentator notes this. The Bible commences and ends with the Creator in fellowship with man in a garden paradise. So we read here in Genesis and then uh, in Revelation chapter 22, once again, it talks about a, a garden paradise. And we will read that passage here in a little bit. However, the journey man travels between these two gardens is a difficult one. But thankfully, this journey is bridged by a third garden. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher. John 19.41 Both the first Adam and last Adam, Christ, died in a garden. The first Adam changed the first garden into a spiritual graveyard, but the Lord Jesus raised from his garden tomb to offer spiritual life. Those who receive this provision will be restored to their creator and be returned to an eternal garden paradise. Only through the center garden of Calvary may a connection between bliss and eternity be obtained. I want us to read quickly in, in Revelation because we get this picture in Genesis of man being cast out of the garden and not being allowed to go and to partake of the fruit of the tree of life. And then in the last two chapters of Revelation, this is, this is part of the genius of how the Holy Spirit led the authors of Scripture to write Scripture. Because in Genesis, in the introduction of the Bible, we are introduced to the tree of life, and we are introduced to man, and we are given the insight that they were cast away from being able to eat of the tree of life. And now, in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, the very last pages... In the conclusion of this whole story, we are introduced to the tree of life once again. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without pavement. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show to you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east Three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Um, And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Go down to chapter 22, starting verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. The tree of life. With its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And go down to verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Isn't this an incredible picture that we're given in Revelation of the new Jerusalem and, and the river of life and the tree of life with its different fruits for each season and it's for the healing of the nations? And don't, don't you love what it says in verse 14? Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. This is incredible because in Genesis, we see how our first parents, Adam and Eve, were cast away from the tree of life. And it was just of God to do that. It was in his justice. And here at the very end, we see in Revelation that there are going to be many people who will be able to have the right to eat of the tree of life. Isn't that incredible? But it's just like as I read before, the key... was that other tree, the tree on Calvary. The, the key was that other garden, not, not the Garden of Eden and not the, the Garden of Paradise and Revelation, but the Garden of Agony where our Savior bled. And, and it's at the cross where we see the justice of God most clearly portrayed. Because the just penalty for all of our sin and all of the sin of the whole world forever was placed upon Jesus. But it was at the cross where we see His mercy and His grace most clearly portrayed. Because he died for us in our place. And now it says, blessed are those who wash their robes. Who, who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Who, who look to Jesus. Who, who look to the one who took our sin upon himself, who died in our place, who took the full justice, the full judgment that we deserved and gave us just mercy because everyone who looks to him has been identified with Jesus Christ and it is now just of God to say, my child Come and partake of the tree of life. Isn't that incredible? That's good news. 
He's a merciful judge, but he's a just judge. And and we see that here in Genesis chapter 3. And just like the nation of Israel, when they heard about the judgment that Solomon uh, gave concerning those two prostitutes and their children, they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And they stood in awe of him. Here, when we see the judgment that the Lord brought upon Adam and Eve in sending them from the garden and sending them from the tree of life, we get an insight into God's character. We can perceive who He is, perceive that He is a merciful judge, a gracious God, but He is also just. And his mercy and his grace is most clearly portrayed to us at the cross. And as we look to him, it opens the door that one day, when we take our last breath here, and we go to be with him, we will be able to do what Adam and Eve weren't able to do at that moment. Eat of the tree of life and live forever in a state of perfect fellowship and bliss with God. What an incredible Savior we have. What an incredible Lord. The Lord God's judgment on man reveals his character. Perceive who he is and stand in awe of him. Father, we thank you. For your word, we thank you that even in your judgment upon Adam and Eve and sending them out of the garden, you you portrayed to us your mercy and your grace, and you portrayed your justice. And we thank you that that was fulfilled in our Lord Jesus and his death for us and his burial and his resurrection. And Father, I just pray for each of us today that we will stand in awe of you, a God who is fully gracious and fully just, and that we will trust you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.